So this is an untexted, unprepared, improvised introduction about who I am a little bit and what I want to do, um, preferably not alone. I've got um, an amiable partner in crime in mind who will share the burden. Um, but yeah, essentially this is an opportunity to express some thoughts, not as a specialist or an expert, but simply an opinionated member of the, the planet um, to comment upon events and issues of the time, reflect upon historical events, perhaps political events on occasion, sporting, social, economic, life-related um, yeah, the inspiration, I suppose, in many ways comes from the fact that um, I've pulled back personally from social media because of the amount of hate that was expressed. And I, I think it's possible to be critical without expressing hatred. And um, yeah, I want to be critical um, and I don't want to express hatred in the process and simply as an indicator of how it's possible to accomplish this. Um, well, I guess the main motivation for me is um, growing up, I used to watch a program called Midnight Caller, which had this um, sort of midnight DJ called Jack Killian, and um, he was a former police officer who, um, for some reason, no longer wanted to continue in the force, um, though I'm sure there was a backstory which I've forgotten now. Um, but anyway, he would come on at night and um, essentially would uh, help people address their problems. And he always addressed, or the program always addressed, um, issues of um, social importance at the time. And um, yeah, I think in the first few episodes, they um, they, they discussed um, the spread of HIV and AIDS. Um, they interviewed a person on death row. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of really important issues which are still prevalent in today's society. Um, obviously, it was an American take on things. Um, I myself am a Brit um, of um, you know, ethnic origin, which is not British. Um, it's Armenian. Um, but I've lived in um, Italy for four years and um, I've lived now where I currently live in Berlin in Germany. Um, so my perspective is going to be <clears throat> mostly European, um, so therefore of um, Western emphasis. Um, but I do also have um, some Middle Eastern um uh, opinions, shall we say, sources from um, you know, sort of relatives, um, friends, uh, people who I've encountered while growing up. Um, I don't have uh, Far Eastern, um, uh, shall we say, opinion which has matured or formulated within me. Um, I'm just simply saying these things so that you understand that there are probably going to be biases involved as much as I would like to claim neutrality um yeah that, that's not really viable i think we all have um certain prejudices we all have fixed ways of doing things we all have 
um, ideas about how life should be lived, um, how people should consider one another, what political system is the best, what uh, what the price of milk should be, or a slice of pizza, or a good coffee. Um, obviously, there are more important things, but uh, you know, just to say that there are any any number of um, issues that people would have uh, alternating opinions on and. Um, I just wanted to give you my background. Um, what well, what have I learned in my travels? Can't really call them travel. I'm not really a very well travelled person, but I've lived in three countries. If you include the country of my birth, which is the UK, um, I was born in London, um, and and. Clearly, one of the things that you have to say about the UK is that London is not representative of the vast majority of the country. I can't even say I've I've travelled particularly well in the UK. Um, I, I think my life was far too uh, limited to London. I have gone further north than Watford, um, which may come as a surprise to some northerners. Um, I actually played football um, with a group of northerners um, and I have to say they were probably the most um, heartwarming, amusing group of individuals I've ever encountered um, and I don't think I've ever been accepted into um, a British group of people as quickly as they took me in. Uh, I almost felt adopted after the first training session um, and that was just a, a great experience and, and in fact in many ways it was something which um, perhaps prepared me for life in Italy um, where people were also extremely warm, um, extremely welcoming. Um, I mean, that was the north of Italy, so I, I can only imagine that um, you know, Sicily and Napoli would have been um, you know, perhaps even warmer in their welcome. Um, but I, I, I never ventured that far south, so I can't comment upon it. But I had a few um, students from Sicily and Napoli, um, and uh, uh, yeah, really, really, you know, great people. And in Germany as well. So um, you know, I've been welcomed um, with open arms uh, in Berlin. People are very friendly. People want to live. People want to enjoy living. Um, they have obviously their own way of doing this and achieving this outcome. It's very different to the British way. It's very different to the Italian way. Um, it's different to uh, the Armenian way, I guess. Um, even though I, I never really experienced the Armenian way, as in I, I grew up as a Brit. Um, so, um, yeah, there are lots of things to talk about. So that's just a little introduction into who I am. Um, what I would like to do, this is in a developmental process, so, um, you know, things will likely change. There are going to be themed um, episodes. I'm really hoping to be joined as soon as possible by my partner in crime, who... Um, um, I play basketball with, um, so we share a passion, at least in sport. He's a lot better than I am, so um, you know, I'm always sort of chasing his tail uh, as he sort of leaps off down the court. And, um, and yeah, so there's a bit of competition there, which we, that may come out in our discussions. Um, 
but there's uh, there's definitely respect um, at least on my part as well so anyway um, we're going to look to expand things um, hopefully bring in some you know other individuals um, you know both being male means that our show is um, lacking somewhat in uh, the necessary diversity uh, we will try to uh, address that of course um, it's important to state that we are mindful of um, you know the, the fact that there is the gender imbalance um, but that is uh, in no way something that was planned um, it's just one of those things and we will highlight it um, and hopefully uh, be able to introduce somebody who will uh, counter uh, that imbalance not to worry so man you know you, there's uh, some shit in the world called corona apparently in the usa you've got a name for it called the rona i, I didn't realize that you'd given it an affectionate nickname um but you had it yeah man i had it um Let's see. I think I started having symptoms on the 17th mm. of November, and I was like sweating and well, I just I was like, "Whoa, I'm like I'm a little." Hot. I was at my friend's house, and I was like, "Well, I'm a little like hot," and they're like, "Whoa, open the window," and and then he kind of made fun of me, like, "Oh, you're just like, I don't know why you're you know take your shirt off or something," and then like. Two, they like these two dudes took their shirts off, and I was like, "Well, this is weird." And I started feeling like super tired, and um, I was like, "All right, I'm going home. I just don't feel well." And the next day, like I was okay, a little like I thought I was like hungover, mm-hmm. and I just was like, I would just get like you know hot every like ever every other hour or something, like like sweat, and then and then it's just slowly. The next day, I had a little dry cough. A little more dry cough, and then I got this massive headache, and I was going to go to the U.S. on Monday, that Monday, and then I got this headache, and I, I thought it was like from stress, and just being like, oh my god, like do I really have this, you know, this global virus? And then I just, and I went and got tested, and I got tested twice, and the other like yeah, positive, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, it is no joke, man. I'd really, I can see where it can go south for people who are like older, unhealthy, and have pre-existing conditions. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> from the you know, the stories that I've read, um, yeah, that's borne out completely that it can go south very quickly and very tragically. But um, even for those who recover, from what I've read it can take months before you actually feel physically normal uh, i mean you you're over it now i guess but i mean how do you feel do you still feel this like uh, an element of weakness yeah i have a like a cough like a chronic cough um yesterday after i w- went out for the first time in like two weeks like actively outside of my like two my like a two block radius mm-hmm. uh I started to get like a headache again. Um, my back hurts every once in a while because it really there's a lot of inflammation in your joints and stuff. And like that was, I mean, like what the, the first morning I woke up after I really had it, like I could barely walk. 
you know, to the bathroom. It's like, whoa, like just my knees felt swollen, like cracking. Like, wow, a little off. You know, like uh, my balance is a little off. So. I mean, they, they also say this thing is very hardcore on the lungs. So, you know, the fact that you're coughing perhaps, you know, reflects that. But, um, I mean, if, if you had been a smoker, so, I mean, I smoked for a long time, so I, I, I no longer do. But um, do you think some for people who smoke, this could be, you know, really, really bad? Yeah, I definitely think it would affect them. Because um, I could, like... One day I went for like a really long walk, like an hour walk. Um, I just couldn't sit inside anymore. And uh, my, I got back and like I was breathing. And then when I would take like a full breath, you could feel like sharp pain in my lungs. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, wow. Like it, and I, I read that it, like it scars the inside tissue of your your lungs. Yeah, a bit like a sort of rewiring. Um, it, it sort of messes up the, um, you know, that, that sort of the threads, as it were. Um, I, I, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but um, yeah, the consequences could be, yeah, harrowing uh, for yeah. for the lungs. Also, it made me think about like some of these athletes that have, have it. I just saw that like they canceled the Fulham game, and I also think it's funny how like the UK, like the Premier League, is just kind of trying to ignore it like oh we're just gonna cancel but like they're not saying what's going on you know it's like <laughs> not that big of a deal but I have, in the u.s sports they canceled uh they didn't cancel they postponed a football american football game and it was like huge and it was like it was the first time and ever been postponed but uh, so the fulham game has now officially been postponed is it yeah Okay, because right, I'd heard rumors about it since yesterday, but uh, I didn't know it had been now. Okay, it must have been a huge outbreak. Uh, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the same, same thing happened with Newcastle um, and uh, City, didn't it? Um, earlier, so oh, bit of feedback there. Um, but I mean, it's there is a certain importance to these sporting events, aren't there? Especially in the time of lockdown. So you know, people are um, you know unable to go out. They are not able to partake in you know the, the, the sort of normal activities you would associate with this period. You know, going out shopping, going to cafes, going to restaurants, meeting friends, um, parties, bars, pubs, discos, and so on. Um, but what perhaps gives us a sense of normality and perhaps a bit of entertainment is is the sport. You know, if it's football, if it's American football, if it's basketball or hockey or tennis or whatever else. Um, you know, the we do kind of see these sports people as our you know sort of modern day gladiators, our heroes, people which we you know who we aspire to be in some way. So. You know, to see them and what they do affected by the same thing, um, kind of, it has an additional effect on our psyche, our collective psyche, I think. So maybe this is why they really want to push ahead, but um, it's tough, man, isn't it? Dealing yeah. with that. But I, I really feel, because like the first lockdown, there was no sports or anything, and that was like torture for a lot of people. Um like you know, you couldn't watch. There's nothing to watch. I mean, like I only watch so many movies, mm-hmm. and for, and for most like males above 25 to 
55 who, you know, their biggest hobby is watching sports and keeping up with sports teams, you know? Mm-hmm. And once that part of your life is like kind of eliminated, you're just like, uh, that's my hobby. Like, that's what I'm passionate about. I keep up with the stats. I keep up with the players, what the players are you know, doing mm-hmm. injured, you know, and you, you just, that's like your main thing in life. And I think once you take that away from people, it's like it's eye opening, you know, and they don't know what to do. Then they have to find other things to entertain them. You know, like, I mean, I guess some people watch sports just to watch, but I mean, I'm more of a junkie where like, I, you know, I want to know about like where they're from, who they, what, what club they grew up playing for, you know, their influences like that. And I think that also depicts the storyline of the game. It makes it more, um, more interesting for me. Mm. But I mean, there are alternatives, aren't there? As in, there is this argument that perhaps should be considered that, you know, we do perhaps overdo the sports side. You know, maybe this is, you know, escapism um, in extremism. Um, And um, it's good to come back and, you know, read, spend time with friends. Okay, that's also not quite possible at the moment. Um, You know, but reading, um, you know, perhaps watching a few, you know, documentaries, in addition to series and movies, there are other things that can entertain us and enlighten us, no? Sure. Yeah, true. I mean, this week, I mean, it was my second. I mean, it, it was really like house arrest, you know? Like, I really felt like my freedom has been taken away. And mm-hmm. I've been policed by the world almost, you know? Like, I'm like illegal. You know, if I go out in public and I infect somebody and they get sick and die, like, I am, I'm liable. Mm-hmm. And that really, at some point, put me in like perspective of like, well, like I'm really I'm locked in, you know. I'm in I'm on house arrest. I got like I've been arrested by the world and this virus, and I can't do anything. And I look back at last week mentally, I had to just like I just couldn't handle you know a lot of stuff like understanding it. So I didn't really do too much. And I look back at like what I did every day, and like man, like the days just turned into it was just the same repeat actions every day, and it was just like wow, this is crazy, you know. Uh, <laughs> but then like this week, I started thinking, and I was like, I need to be uh, more creative with my time, and and also it's I realized like. I have the argument, like, you know, some people just don't have this uh, idea of working. Like, they don't want to work. It takes away their free time. And I was, I'm more of the person who, like, I like working. It keeps me busy. It's also a social element for me. Mm. Um, and it keeps my mind, like, focused on something. And, you know, I guess everybody's built differently. But I, I also, but I've also loved, like, you know, I like art and I like music. And I want to be more creative with that because I do envy those types of people who have careers and like videographers and people work in movies and people work in music and produce. And I started listening to a lot of podcasts of like Rick Rubin. Do you know who he is? No. Rick Rubin is this Jewish white guy from Queens. And he was going to New York University in like 1978, like NYU. Okay. And he... It's in a long story short, he 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 is one of the guys who found like the Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, um, and like one of the pioneers of rap and hip hop. Okay. And him and um, 
if it like him and Russell Simmons started Def Jam Records. Well, he started Def Jam, and then Russell Simmons came in. But then I started looking into like, and he's like super cool guy. You know, he has a huge beard, white beard, and you know, he knows every rapper and artist in the world, or like his friends. You know, and you did. It's like so hard to believe like this Jewish white kid was behind like making mm-hmm. rap popular because, but he but he says like in these podcasts, he's like. It wasn't cool until the white kids in the suburbs started listening to it, you know, and that's when it became accepted, you know, because really they were trying to stop it because it was like, you know, these black kids talking about their environment and Mm. and trying to empower themselves, you know, with it through their music and expressing themselves that way, you know. It's amazing to see like the progression of it. You know, in the '80s into the '90s, and in every part, like in like every single, probably he's still doing records today for these, these like for Coldplay and these big artists. You know, like there people are reaching out to him just to help them to produce because he just knows what the sound is, mm-hmm. and like want to hear that's it. popular. <laughs> but this, I mean, okay, what I think was termed in some ways gangster rap. But I mean, this was like really. Yeah, this was rap with a with a real story. I mean, there was a lot of depth to that. There's a lot of sort of political outpouring. Um, so obviously, there's a surprise when you find out that you know this is was inspired not by a person of African origin. Yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't say it's inspired, but it wasn't. He was able to sell it to the like to the like the culture. You know, he was able to sell it to mainstream, okay. and he was. That's what they needed, and it's funny. It's still like. It still goes back to like ex- like this exploit. You know, people talk about people exploiting like black, um, you know, culture, and mm-hmm. like the guy who's behind like, you know, magnifying it and getting it sold is a Jewish white kid mm-hmm. going was to he? something else. You know, he he was doing something totally else, but he but he was into like the punk rock and the metal scene, and then he and he started hearing like, um. You know, like these guys rapping because he was in New York in the city, and he was like, "Wow, like, this is crazy. This is great." And he started producing for him, and like, and then like the Beastie Boys, when he found them, they were more of a band playing more punk stuff. And he was like, "Look, if you guys go more into the hip hop rapping, it's going to be huge." And look at the Beastie Boys, you know, like, and they, he was able to tap into both cultures, and then that's when like white people are like, "Whoa, look, like." white guys like we can relate to them because before like you have you know black guys and you know, Hispanic guys talking about growing up in the Bronx or you know in their neighborhoods it's, it was hard for everybody to relate to it but mm. you know I, I, I read um, an article which was a, an interview um, of um, the singer of the fine young cannibals gift I think his name was is mm-hmm. I should say and um, you know based upon his experiences in in the UK um, he said that his difficulties as it were were never race based but class um, is is that similar in the US or do you think in the US it's no no it's it's race based it's not it's not just class it's race um i would it was it's two separate things because you can, i mean there's systematic racism that affects people that doesn't affect their class that's an issue but i would say especially from my experience personal experience that if you're from a certain class being it from a minority class, you do have 
some better opportunities just because of the people you're surrounded by are educated and they have those experiences. So you're able to learn and have, get, you know, they're pushing you, they're showing you like, hey, you know, you don't have to do this, you know, very different. But, but then in the general race thing, when you get to these, these opportunities, like places, these universities and these, these office buildings and trying to apply for the job, they don't really see what your parents did. You know, they only see like your, your race, your color, you know? Mm. Yeah. Because like, if, I mean, if I look at my family, like I think my, my grandmother didn't go to college because she had to go to the war broke out and her sister did go to college for teaching. And this is 19, she's born 1924. So this is like 40, whenever, the, you know, she was 17. Do the okay. math. Yeah. So war is breaking out. So she went to work at the Pentagon um, and she was working on uh, like uh, those big giant computers. Like, so because she was black, the only thing she could do was do numbers. So she was just adding numbers together for the Air Force so they could, you know, whatever they were using, these giant machines at the first computers to add up to do, you know, I don't know what they were doing exactly, but they used like black women to type in the numbers and to count the numbers and add. So there's there was a story four. about this, uh, about the, the black ladies at NASA without whom exactly. they, exactly. they would. She was. So, okay. Um, um, it's called, what's the movie? What's this? It's called, um, I can't remember. It's on my Hidden, uh, hidden, hidden Figures. Is yes. Because yes. they were in a, like, they were in behind the scenes, you know, doing all that. So, she, so this movie is actually about my grandmother's, like, she was one of these ladies. Okay. And, uh, and that's what, like, my, and her niece is uh, my cousin Shirley. She is, she was the first black woman to be a mayor of a major city in the United States. So she was, she was a mayor of Atlanta from 2000, 2008. And that's my grandmother's uh, niece. Okay. So she and learned she, from your mo- your grandmother's uh, my mother's side. Um, it's my mother's first cousin. She, she said at my grandmother's funeral that one of her inspirations and she kind of, she had like a, you know, she had a speech and she kind of brought it up. She goes, as like a young black woman, I looked up to Mildred, my grandmother, because she was, and she said she, you know, quoted the movie, you know, Hidden Figures, and said, you know, she was one of these women that were working hard, the new numbers that were working for the government, you know, that they had, they were, you know, it was, it was the highest level that you could get as like a, a minority woman, black woman at that time, you know, in the 40s. And she's like, well, and, and that she saw this, and then my grandmother went on to like, she worked for the Pentagon for like 25 or 30 years, retired. Um, and then became like a real estate agent, was a top real estate agent. But it was just because of those opportunities that she got working for the military, and you know, and, st- and having good values, and, like sticking to it. You know, like that's what you do. Like, cause her, like, and I think like her mother never, like they worked a little bit, but then she, you know, she had to certainly she took care of, you know. But they were living in D.C. and D.C. was a very good place for black people to grow up because it was not in the South. You know, so you didn't have to deal with that issue, mm. you know? So you think about, at that point, like, people were, slavery was only over for 50, 60 years, and, like, Jim Crow laws were still going around, you know? Like, in the southern states, you mean? Yeah. Well, they were born in, like, Nash- Asheville, North Carolina, like, in the western North Carolina, but they moved to D.C., and that's where, like, we're out the wording Jim Crow law. So 
the opportunities are a lot better. So that's what I'm saying. So based off of race and class, it depends where you can go. It's so I don't know. I, I think it, it's hard to separate them sometimes. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know obviously what, um, you know, other elements were expressed within the interview and what was written down. I, I do believe strongly, however, that, uh, I think, um, there is institutionalized racism in the UK as well as in the US, um, and it is a, a huge problem and it has to be dealt with. Um, I, I'm not convinced that um, the politicians have either the will nor indeed the ability to eradicate it. I don't think they know how, um, and I'm not sure they want to either. That's how they stay in, some of the guys stay in power that way, mm. <laughs> you know? And that's that was the huge swing in the election was the system that they created to keep you know black people from voting and staying in power. They they got beat by it, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, how much of that you know corrupt system will they be able to change when they don't control the you know both houses? Uh, I think it's difficult, isn't it, to be able to change the yeah. vote, voting look, laws? Even like if you look at the last uh, like stimulus thing they're going through, it's like they're so focused on their like like the outer put like lobbyists and stuff of what they're representing that they like won't even they're like they won't even give people money to survive. Like they're fighting over like their politics before the people's lives and livelihood, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, they're like, I, and they're like, well, no. And it's like, Oh, we're gonna give them 600 a month. Like when the average rent or mortgage in the U S is a thousand, <laughs> you know, like most people came in, like, what is the $600 going to do? But, I heard it got up to two thousand. Yeah, I mean, it, we are talking about unrealistic solutions and indeed unrealistic estimates for what people require to be able to live on. You know, there there are sort of statistics out there which which tell us, you know, that realistically, this is what you need to survive in this city or in this area, and governments simply are not in a position to, you know, to provide that. And it's also reflected in, you know, in the UK and in other countries too. So, um, you know, there is a, a need for creative, um, you know, economic policies. I'm not sure that the powers that are out there um, are willing to entertain those, you know, that creativity. I don't think it's there. We're going to suffer a lot as a result of this, uh, you know, this virus, this pandemic. Yeah, for years. But they're not really seeing because, like, think all the people that lost their job every day, they're losing jobs. They're not working and they're not creating more jobs. Companies are getting smaller and smaller because, and, and now that they're not even going to have like office buildings, you know, people are going to, they're like, come and say, why rent an office building now? Then mm. you're losing janitors, you're losing security, you're using the people that, you know, take care of it. Then the, the landlords are losing money because they don't have the companies the rent the places anymore so then they start pulling money from other places and that taxes the people at the bullet like you know like like uh the bv gay is like raising their prices now yeah because there's less people riding the trains so they need to make more money to pay all their employees and uh, take care of all the trains and then the people are going to be like those people who are getting hurt the people who have to put up the 50 euros a month out of their 400 euro paycheck so a quarter of their paycheck not a quarter, but you know, whatever. Yeah. 
I'm not the best at math, but that's <laughs> all right. There, I mean, that's that's a lot of money like, that you're putting up just to get the work. Yeah, I mean, okay, we, we've we've jumped uh, jumped around a little bit with our topics, but I think we're talking about essentially in many cases um, 2020 fallout, you know, and 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 this is essentially what we've what we've seen uh, apparently happen around us, but also, I mean, you're obviously quite concerned about news in the US. I also follow news in the UK, um, so you know, these are unfortunate. I really, I've been following a lot of UK news recently, and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. A little different than the US political scene. It is a little bit different. Uh, I mean, we can also throw in, you know, Brexit, but uh, I think there are other topics which, I mean, Brexit, that's that's so 2016. Um, Can Can I ask you a question? Yeah, please, man. So... So I've had a couple arguments in the past couple of months and for years about like this whole issue with like immigrants. And recently there was a shooting in Kreuzberg mm-hmm. and I jumped in the canal to avoid getting shot. I think four people got shot in total and maybe one died, I think. Um, but, you know, I'm on all these like expat groups on Facebook and on on Twitter and they start going off, you know, like this is Merkel's uh-huh. land, you know. <laughs> it's like they let in all these immigrants, blah blah blah. And then you see like people from all over the world commenting, and it's it's great content to hear, like a Mexican try to explain why like this is happening in Germany. When you know, it's like it's mm-hmm. I was reading these comments, and I just want to know your thoughts about uh, some of the key terms they're using are. Like integrate into the society, and you know, it's like, what do you expect? You know, because like my thing is, is like, I guess I'll let you answer, but no, no, please. Religion, and then there's the culture of the country that they're coming to. Either it's Sweden, Germany, England, U.S., and there's all these issues, this total issues with this. So like, you know, a lot of people were coming out like this is because of all the refugees and Emirates don't want to in- integrate into our society. And this is what happens. This is what you're dealing with. And I had a, guy, a Swedish guy say, there's 365 murders a year in Sweden. And it's all because of, you know, the Afghanistans. They left in, they let come in to stay in Stockholm. And they're, they don't want to integrate. And they're selling drugs. And they're creating crime. And I'm like, 365 murders a year in a whole country. Maybe mm-hmm. it's Stockholm. And it's like, do you, you know, people will get murdered every day in the United States. <laughs> yeah, obviously yeah, different realities, but they blame guns. But they're always they're blaming the these immigrants. So I just want to hear what your thoughts on that. Especially, you know, you come from immigrants. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so I'm just trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I. I, I was born in, in London, but my, my parents were immigrants. And then I, I left the UK and went to live in Italy. So I was an immigrant myself in Italy. And then I came to Berlin in 2012. So I was a, a second uh, time uh, an immigrant in, a, in another culture. Um, and yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. I, I think 
as as is with every relationship, it goes two ways. Yeah. So um, if you're an immigrant, then you have to have this will to to integrate, you know, to experience the culture into which you are uh, moving. Uh, but at the same time, the con- the culture to which you have now, um, you know, sort of embraced your your future, perhaps uh, that should also be welcoming. Um, and in in many cases, I've noticed in Germany it is, um, but it's not always. Uh, it really depends on where you go, how open-minded society is, um, how, you know, how multicultural it is. Um, and I think Berlin, we're quite lucky from that perspective. Though I have been told uh, repeatedly by uh, people that I've worked with who are you know of uh, black ethnic origin, you know, they've said yeah, some parts of Berlin. It's probably best to stay away from, um, but generally speaking, Berlin is very welcoming, uh, and I, I've I haven't experienced any you know racism personally on, on that score. Um, the only thing I will say with regards to this issue is um, something that my um, my wife has in a, on a sticker in her on her diary, and it's no human is illegal. Um, you know, we, I think we all walk this planet with um, natural rights, and I think we're all equal within those natural rights. Um, whether we arrived before or after, I think it's simply a question of timing, and it's not a question of superiority, inferiority, um, uh, being better or worse. It's just timing. Um, and I don't think people should be punished, discriminated against because of timing, even if that timing is hundreds of years or thousands of years. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, but well, I just, I'm, I'm really mainly like about the crime. Like, my opinion is like there's bad people who are going to be quit committing crimes everywhere that like, you can't just really base it off because you know, they're immigrants, you know. But, oh, clear, clearly. And that's that's the issue. I think it's just maybe it's just easier for people just to blame them. But then there's like there's a whole obsession with white people <laughs> with this, you know. Like some of them don't care. They they they're like super open minded about it. And mm-hmm. I've, I mean, because I've been able to talk to people from different countries who have totally different views about it. You know what I mean? So it's it it goes on from culture to culture, and yeah. Well, when you say white people, tell me what you mean. Because y- yesterday, with this little challenge that you set for me, was really eye-opening for me. Because I, when you asked me about these five midfielders, <coughs> you know, and then I only gave you, you know, English players um, who are white, uh, and you know that I'm not racist at all. So, uh, but that really led me to sort of question, you know, my uh, my thought processes. You know, so why did I choose those? And, and I still haven't exactly come to you know, a, a complete conclusion as to why that is the case. But I mean, when you say white people find it very difficult to deal with this crime element, what do you mean? What are some of the things that they've said to you? No, it's, it's just when I say white people, I'm I'm saying like I'm using it in a way like this this kind of like the majority, like how the system is set up. You know, like the white privilege and. Okay. That's more the way I was saying, like, you know, the white privilege. Mm. Okay. Because I, I, I don't, I have to think naturally, unconsciously, you probably were just, you're just drawn to those players, maybe because you're able to relate more to those guys. And just how, like, when I look, 
when I watch sports or like a, a young black girl watches sports, she is going to re- like try to relate to the girls that look like her, like Serena. Yeah. You know? And yet, and your local, for example, mm-hmm. local. Yeah. Who? Uh, she used to play uh, football for England. Uh, she was of uh, yeah a black English uh, football player, very good actually. I guarantee, if you look at the amount of players who's decided to start playing football as black girls in England, they probably increased by 100% because they were able to relate to her. And mm. say, oh, I want to play football like her. I hope so. I really do. I think it's... it's I mean, you, you just don't, you don't realize, but that is a huge effect. So I think when you, when you just pick players, you always look at like, all right, why is this guy? Why do I like this guy? Like, I can relate to him. He reminds me of myself. You know, like, oh, that could be me. Or he plays the way I like to play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, if I had actually opened my head, my mind a little bit more than I had, I would have also picked Vieira. But as I said, Vieira played for a very good Arsenal team, which I hated at the time. And uh, uh, that's probably why he didn't come to my mind immediately. But if we're talking about midfield greats from the Premier League era, then I think uh, Vieira would have to rate highly. Um, But okay, yeah. This other thing about violence, I think it's very interesting. Um, I think it's very, very easy um, for um, indigenous white people to point to um, immigrants as the reason for crime increasing in certain fields. Um, I, I remember recently I read uh, in, in an article that was talking about um, these uh, child abuse circles um, or abuse circles um, where they've sort of created uh, communities which abuse children and women and so on. Um, and there is this there is this belief in the UK that these are all led by um, a majority of men from you know, certain Asian countries. Um, but the statistics show that the vast majority are Brits. Um, you know, there may be perhaps um, a certain ratio um, of participation which are from Asian background, but that should in no way take away from the fact that the vast majority are Brits, ethnic Brits. Um, so it's very, very easy to point a figure, a finger at somebody who comes from a different country, is of a different color, different belief structure. Um, but we should n- by no means try to wash, uh, you know, away our own responsibilities. Um, you know, trying to catch people who are not from immigrant backgrounds, um, and, and I think it's very, very, very unfair. You know, uh, the way that it's because it's just so easy. You know, so a lot of the times these people don't have a voice, do they? No. They're not they can't defend themselves. How do they do that? Yeah. And then one person does something and they they glorify it on the news and then everybody's terrified. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And then you look at, you know, people on the you know public transportation and you say, oh, OK, is that somebody who's going to do this or is somebody who's going to do that? Um, I, I, I do remember once seeing this Facebook post from, it was a, an Arab lady, I think she posted it, um, I could be wrong, um, but when we talk about clothing and, you know, what sort of ethnic uh, clothing you look at, um, people who wear suits, usually men, have been responsible for the deaths of more people than any other ethnic uh, clothing, should we say, or ethnically clothed uh, dress sense. So, you know, we should, if we're going to look at people on public transport who could be dangerous, 
you know, look at men in suits. <laughs> yeah. Especially politicians. Yeah, not not that they take public transport very often, but anyway, well, okay. Um, all right, if we're going to, let's, um, yeah, because there are going to be certain elements of this uh, first initial introductory pop cast where it's going to be you know I've, I've, I've sort of throw together our, our previous conversation as well um so it's going to seem a little bit uh, disjointed but that was when we talked about advertising um and uh, you mentioned some of the things that you experienced when you were over there in the states uh, earlier this year uh, so i'll add that in um maybe about now okay so it's recording now um so yeah this this is basically, I wouldn't say live, but this is recording just so that I can then add it to some of the other stuff that I've done and then we can see how it follows on. Because um, I don't have any professional editing software here. It's just, um, what is it called? Audacity. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So, yeah, that's what I'll be using. Um yeah, and what else, man? Have you got some other topics? I mean, you said that you were happy with the the list that I had, but I mean, some of those items are pretty big and it lacks detail. So, I mean, for example, I, I just rather speak about like just uh, current events, yeah, music, sports, okay, maybe right. bit some history. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of diversity though. Yeah, so you know, okay, obviously U.S. sports, and you know, I mean, we don't. Okay, we throw eggs around, but we call that egg sport like rugby, and you call it American football. Um, <laughs> and, and these are two completely different sports. So I wouldn't yeah. have a clue what to say, but I mean, I, I'm more than happy for you to explain but, it to but, me. But, I'd love to hear about what, what it means. What, American football? Yeah. Oh, I mean, nobody course, understands I mean, what... I mean, no, but nobody I mean, I think it also be cool to be like, oh, what... When I say that, what comes to your mind first? And then you could go off of that, and then I yeah. could go off of that, and then explain it more. But this, when you hear about it, what you think, you're like, top of your head, what do you think about this, or what comes to mind when you hear this? And, and then you could even elaborate, like, what comes off the top of your head mm. into how is that just like a stereotypical of either the culture or the people that play the sport, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, when I think of American football, there's a list of, okay, obviously Super Bowl, because it's like the main product, as it were. Uh, and then after that, it's a commercial every 20 seconds. Um, it's, uh, yeah, um, Janet Jackson's nipple falling out at halftime. I think that, that springs <laughs> to mind. Um, yeah, that's it's just like a big show, isn't it? It's uh, I, I, is it more a sporting event or a big show? Uh, I'm, I'm never. Really I mean, sure. I think it's it's a it's a sporting event, but it's also like a capitalist event where mm. people look to capitalize off everybody or whatever sixty million people or thirty million people tuning in for four hours in big groups. So like you, you're able to sell like alcohol. Lots of alcohol is being sold. Lots of food is being sold. Um, what else? Uh, alcohol, food, music, uh, just normal advertising, just selling like home goods and you know, hotels and traveling and Nike and all these things are able to just, they have this like four hour window where they can just capture this millions of people and 
make an impact. Because you think about some of these commercials that were have come out in past years, like they have influenced advertising around the world just by this one commercial or how they approached it. And then, you know, like like the the, the Bud, Budweiser frogs, you know, you remember that mm, commercial? Absolutely. Yeah. What's yeah. up? And think about, yeah. think about that, like that, that like that was shown that that type of like advertising changed. You know, where like you you trying to click into someone's head, and like this funny type of advertising where they like it's easy to do, and you have everybody doing it who don't even drink the beer. Mm. Kids are doing it, so yeah. it's, it becomes it comes like pop part of pop uh, pop culture. Mm. This type of like, these this event, it's only one night a year. And and that's different for American sports, isn't it? Because like okay, NBA, you've got like a best of seven, you know. Yes, um, that's why the NBA like uh, it's like it's like the finals last two weeks, but it's also two weeks of of, of you know, opportunity to sell stuff, you know, because mm. people are tuned in. But I think the like the Super Bowl is like it's such a. I mean, people pay like two or three million just for thirty seconds. You know, and, if, yeah, and like I'd for think. a whole a full minute commercial, it could be like ten million dollars. <laughs> and they make their money back, do they, on that investment? Oh yeah, it, I mean they, they they look at sales and the commercials like of what you're selling. Like it goes up tremendously, mm. despite like catching people's eye, especially if you have two products like Pepsi and Coca Cola, mm. and then Pepsi Pepsi has a huge hit with an ad on that night and then their sales shift because people are like oh you know pepsi's cooler <laughs> you mm. know people are so easily influenced by this shit yeah I, I mean that that leads us to you know all sorts of different topics of conversation about you know 2020 and the post-truth and so on i mean um yeah yeah being easily convinced and swayed is yeah has as a public has really influenced or allowed the influence of certain politicians in the USA. Do you, do you think there's uh, you know, advertising has to take uh, take a step back a bit or, or do you think it's just free society? That's how it is. Um, I don't know. I think people will have the right to spend their money and on what they want, especially mm -hmm. with advertising and selling their business. I think maybe the targeting but now you have like all these platforms to advertise and it's really crazy. Like the ways that these consumers can be reached now. Mm. And like, I know like, I put this block on like my phone and like, I just, every time like they, they want to know where I'm located, like constantly. And it's like, just so they can know I'm in that area to sell something, mm. <laughs> you know, restaurants, uh, well, full control. Okay. I mean, at the moment, I guess that, particular package isn't working very well because a lot of places are closed but uh yeah generally yeah, yeah. there was this thing though isn't it and where you when you go into a mall it's like uh you know, a message sort of pops up and says oh we've got a special offer on in this you know in this particular shop so um i mean but that's that's you know part of the package of going to to the shops isn't it well i think shops are going to be non-existent soon because like these huge mall spaces are really a waste of money and because people aren't shot going to the malls especially mm. with the certain situation with you know like nike and like gap and l bean hit record uh sales for online delivery in the last mm. week 
And the mm. UPS said that they would only accept so many packages from these companies because they have to deliver the other private, like, you know, citizens packages as well, because they're so overwhelmed with Nike and Gap. They mm. can't even sell it. And then like, it's just so much easier. And now you can go on like Amazon and buy from small merchants and even be able to pick up in their stores mm. or go to like a pickup station, you know, so you can actually see where you're buying it from. And so why even have these malls that people pay like, Two or three thousand, or you know, five thousand for rental space, mm. and they're not even selling. Um, most of their goods are, and ninety percent of their stuff is being sold online. Yeah, but I mean, they, things go around in circles, don't they? As in, if you remember, in like the IT sort of boom, where they you know took their services offshore, um, and they or they automated it, and then people said, no, 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 I, I want to speak to a human being, you know, and I want to speak to a human being you know, in this country who you know understands the shit I'm going through, um, and yeah, you know, it just went went around. So after ten years, it left you know your country, you know, turned into a, a, a computer. Um, um, which was housed somewhere else. And then after that, it went to um, a call center in, in some other part of the world. And then it came back um, because customers just didn't, didn't want to deal with that shit. And, you know, I think with shopping, it's going to be the same thing. So, you know, th- there is no substitute for the, the social interaction, but also speaking to, you know, a retail assistant who actually has an idea um, of the products on offer. Um, you don't get that necessarily on Amazon, you don't get somebody saying to you, no. "Try this, try that." But yeah, but there's there's a there's both sides to that because just recently I was in uh, New York and I was looking for a jacket, and the first guy who who asked me if I needed help, I was like, "Yeah, I'm looking for this type of jacket." Blah blah blah, and the guy and he was like, "Yeah, you got this one, and then there's this one, and let me know if you have any more questions." And I'm like, "All right." And I guess he looked at me and was like, "Oh, this guy's not going to buy anything or something." He just thought it wasn't important to, you know, have to show his full attention. And this other guy comes over, black guy actually, and then he's like, "Hey, what can I help you with?" I said, told him the same thing, and he pulls out three jackets. He's like, "These are the ones that you should look for." You know, this is, you know, you, you live in a city, but you're looking for something. Maybe if you had to travel or go to like the mountains, it would protect you and bad weather, but also breathable and it's functional. Blah blah blah. And he showed me like three jacks. I tried them on and I ended up getting one. And the other guy was sitting there with his like his mouth, like jaw dropped because he was like, he just missed that, that sale. Mm, <laughs> I was racial, like, but look racial at, profiling was it? I don't know about that, but, but also it's like certain items you can't, you can't just go buy online. Like, like buying a TV offline. It's like not the best idea because you need to see what it looks like. You know how the picture is. Like you can read all the reviews you want, you know, buying like a winter coat offline. Like you don't know if it's how it fits. Yeah, but like buying like shoes, you know, your shoes always, you're always going to wear that size. You know, the model, you've seen it before on someone else, you know, to get it, you know, t-shirts as well, but there's some certain items you just can't. So, but why do you have like a mall with 30 different department stores and, you know, half of them, people are buying the stuff offline. Like when I was on like Fifth Avenue, you see like these huge, um, like they had like a Dyson vacuum cleaner store. Mm-hmm on fifth, fifth Avenue. And I'm like, how much does Dyson pay mm. just for to have this advertising on I mean, the, the rentals? I mean, the rent of a, a retail store on fifth Avenue has to be like a hundred thousand, 150,000 a month. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's the, the most biggest street in New York for, you know, uh, tourists and like 
you know, it's this huge like advertisement to have your have like one of your stores like on that avenue, like. Mm-hmm. And then they have you have like three more stores in Soho, like South. Okay, uh, I didn't realize. So, like, why? Dyson why do? Was, uh... it, it, even like I was talking to my friend earlier today. I was he was like saying like the same stores have places like in Berlin, like on like Kudam, and it's like people aren't there mm-hmm. buying enough stuff to make to pay the rent for that store, <laughs> but they just want to have that space this is like be like look we're here this is where we're mm-hmm. set up in each city we have but who's they're not making the money out of the store front no but i mean yeah, but these are these are huge companies i guess dyson is a huge company as well it's just you, dyson uh, is it and their their vacuum cleaners are like 400 dollars. you know well more they're really that, nice vacuum more mm-hmm. they're really nice vacuum cleaners but mm-hmm. i was just so shocked to see them like we need to have a spot on fifth avenue to show that we're the elite elitist in the vacuum cleaner business <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, really. All right, but also like so like I've been doing research on uh how like you know, gastronomy. I saw this article on there's this Japanese company called Kura Sushi, and they have like taken over the sushi market in like Japan, and now they've moved on to like the U.S. and their goal is to open up a thousand of these sushi restaurants by 2030, so the next 10 years, and the whole place is contactless and it's that you, like you go up to like a, a tablet you make your order each sushi roll is one dollar or one euro per roll mm. then you can pick whatever you want inside the sushi what allergies you have what type of rice you want it's made by um, a, a robot makes it and cuts it and then you you sit down you, they give you a table number and then it comes on a conveyor belt to your table and you just take it off and that's it. And, you just, and you, you're done. You leave it and then it, you put it back on the conveyor belt and it takes it away. <laughs> and then that's someone, cool. and then there's like a sanitizer mm. spray that comes out on the table and wipes the table down by robot and then and that's right for the next person. <laughs> right. And the pay, payment is what? Just and you pay, you pay or? when you come in, you pay okay. on your tablet, like, but you know, touch free, like through mm. card or, or Apple pay. Mm-hmm. And so, so, like because of the virus, and also how much, how you know people don't have time to sit down, and it's like so all the old like sushi chefs have been like eliminated and then going out of business because people just like why well, go sit down and watch this guy like make this work of art which is like super cool, mm. but when I can just pay half the price half the time and be done with it mm. and go back to work because that's how the world is just becoming like it's just work work work. Mm-hmm. And then, so, so they're trying to they're trying to open up, you know, a couple hundred restaurants in the U.S. and try to like, and they'll probably, and other companies will probably go in with them and chain and do like burger models and sandwich models and soup models, you know, like this. So then you're eliminating all those types of jobs by robots. <laughs> Have you ever seen um, the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? This musical from the '60s, I think. Uh, yes. I, can't remember, I can't remember if it's with Dick, Dick Van Dyke, but he was a yeah, yeah. He was um he he used to be an inventor, and he he built this crazy machine that made breakfast for the, his family. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. it's in, like in yeah. the treehouse. Yeah, this uh, this the uh, the the mill or whatever that he turned into uh, yeah. his home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's just yeah, it's it's only taken seventy years, but uh, yeah, it seems as though they've actually managed to do it for sushi as opposed to uh, an English breakfast. 
Yeah, and they're also like now supposedly like the next thing for Amazon is to do security, do like police force, so like they'll just have robots or cameras that just patrol, <laughs> patrol like yeah, like, it's literally RoboCop. Like that can these cameras that can look up and down, they can zoom in, they can record mm. any action. You put one of them like on each street corner, and then they, you don't have the issue with them beating up people and excessive force. And you don't have to have people hire people to monitor each neighborhood, okay. and then and then and then Google's like, oh, we'll just we'll just run it and we'll build it, and then cities will just put, buy our platform, and they'll buy our services uh-huh. to police and stuff. Okay, um, is this something that's <laughs> being discussed, or are you making this? Shit yeah, yeah, this is real. This is real. Okay, uh, this I saw like... the five five G towers going up in uh in Atlanta everywhere. And they're right next to like all these people's houses. They're, they're saying, "Oh, it's radiation." But like, think about all the people that have freaking microwaves in their house, in the whole building, and everybody's using microwave every night. What's the difference in that radiation? But they don't really don't know the total. And but who's doing the five G? What is it? What is it? AT and T or AT and T? Yeah, AT and T. I think it's doing it. Okay, and the technologies from where? Because China. I mean. It's not... <laughs> <laughs> but they, they China, they, China. <laughs> yeah. But they were like, no, no, you can't use Huawei because it's Chinese, and we can't trust that. And so, what they're buying, what white box Chinese goods or what? Exactly. And they stick an AT and T sticker on it, and that's it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's just the whole thing, like, like the like you know the US actually the huge like uh, enemy is China. But like you think about all the products that are made in China that are sold in the US at Walmarts and Kmarts and malls that are cheap products. And then they're consistently reselling them to the US because people are buying it. Like, oh, it's cheap. It's affordable. And they're just rebuying and rebuying. And it's just a total, you know, pr- supply chain from China because they're, they're mm. just selling you shit products that only last two months. You have to buy a new broom. You have to buy a new this every, every month. Mm. Instead of just spending the extra money on a nice product that's made local or made by, you know, better system that will last you longer, but but people don't want to do that. Okay, but the five they don't they don't, they don't think mean, about they don't think about like if I buy this thing ten times or if I buy a nice one once and it lasts me for ten years, what's the difference? You know, like people don't see the down the road like the wealth the worth of it. They only see how much money they're spending on it right now. Mm. But yeah, but five G masks. I mean, yeah, that's not going to be something you're going to rebuild in two months' time. I mean, this has got to be some proper stuff that you know is coming in. You know, it's got to be quality tested. It's it's got to be you know go through a certain uh, sort of standard assessment. Uh, you can't just stick up a you know multi billion dollar infrastructure and then change it after a couple. Oh, of years. Dude, no, no, they did. It's ready to go. No joke. Mm. I even saw this. They have these the. Uh, these car things where you can like go online, you can pull it, pull it your credit score, get a loan, put it, put a down payment, get your address and all this shit. And then you buy the car online and then it, it comes down like a conveyor belt at these centers. They're just off the highway and you just, your car comes out and it's ready for you to drive. <laughs> I, I'll, give it, I'll show you. I have a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And what it's like spontaneous or what it's <laughs> no, it's like if, if you don't need to go to a car dealership anymore to buy a car. Okay. <laughs> you don't believe um, me? No, no, I do, I do, I do. I, is it this is something like, it's called? 
Yeah. I'm looking at, hold on, I'm just going back into my, it's called like the Cube or something. Uh-huh. Right here, it's called Carvana. Okay. You should look it up. And and is, and how long does it take? Is in, you walk in there with your credit card and then all. No, you do it from home. You do it from oh. home. I'm sending you a picture of it. Okay. So you do it from home. You you give it. You get your credit score. You you, know, you, you apply for your credit score. If you have a down payment, you hook up your bank account and you send mm. it over. And then you p- purchase it, and it says like, "Oh, go to this location, off Buford Highway, twenty two eleven." And mm. your car comes down a conveyor belt and comes out and it has the keys and everything. It's right for you to go. Good, you yeah. put in like you can you can apply for your your uh, your tags and everything. Mm. That's crazy <laughs> shit. But okay, but these are pre-configured cars <laughs> and uh, you know they just yeah they just have matched. different models. Look at your uh, I sent it to you on WhatsApp. Yeah, I saw I saw I saw the picture. Yeah. See, it's just like a giant tower of cars yeah, in a little yeah. highway. It's crazy shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, but all of these things, okay, I mean, we, uh, I'm going to have to run off soon, but you know, all of these things, uh, basically, you know, you're cutting out, uh, you know, the human, uh, participation element in yeah. the sales process. Yeah. So, um, we, we are essentially substituting chefs or car dealers or whatever else, um, for car salesmen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we're substituting them with basically, uh, IT maintenance people. So they no longer have to provide a quality service with regards to the goods. They need to make sure that the ability for the company to continue producing those goods is up and running, and that's it. So it was a good way uh, to introduce that. Um, but if you were to give your thoughts, your final thoughts on 2020, and then the next time when we meet for a chat, we'll uh, we'll talk about your expectations going forward for 2021 so we can't wait too long chris yeah maybe next week or the week after no it's fine. yeah yeah okay but uh, 2020 go on what do you think uh, man i learned a lot this year um i don't know i have like mixed feelings of, like i think any year no matter how bad it looks there's definitely positives you can take out of it and for me i just I learned a lot about the world this year and yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I got to think about it for a second, but <laughs> you know, it's just like, it was just such a whirlwind when it started and like I had such, I was so organized in January and February and I was like, I celebrated a birthday and I was like, okay, like I'm ready for the spring and stay on top of stuff and just, when it just, when March hit and it just took everything away, I just was like, I was like, oh, this is a couple of weeks, we'll be back. And then I slowly saw people losing their jobs and you start seeing like, you know, restaurants closing and it's just like super like sad to see this um, like happen to people. But then you see the kind of the, the way people started to come together and sit around together and like talk and be more understanding and, um, it just like leveled the playing field for for a lot of people. That was good to see, you know, and this the camaraderie that other people were having with each other. I was really happy. And then, you know, I just you know, for I had a a visa issue and traveling issue and I was kind of stuck with that plus the the virus, you know. So I had like I was really I've never I haven't been in one place for that long. Uh, like a one city or, you know, and I was like, wow, like this is, 
it's it's it really changes your mental view on the world because you're just so stuck in like one area and i was so i was always able just to like travel and go to different places and it was kind of like who i was like my kind of my character as a person and like one of my my hobbies and i like it's like one of my passions in life is you know traveling and uh, experiencing new cultures and when i like couldn't do that anymore i just was like i was getting like super frustrated you know and you know i was getting frustrated at food you know i was getting frustrated at what i was drinking you know i would get frustrated at work uh, with my friends and i was just like the conversations i was having i I stopped talking to people because i just i just knew what what was going to happen when we hung out you know like we're going to do the same thing and like I, i i just I just like I was like I just cut out a lot of like nonsense and stuff that really frustrated me with some like some of my friends and people in my life, which was very like different too. Mm-hmm. And I felt I felt bad at first, but I was like, look, like, I just don't get any enjoyment of hanging out with these people, you know? Like uh, the conversations aren't there, and when I when I talk about something, they don't listen, you know? And I just like. They, they act like it was just really like a fake plastic type on the surface. But you kind of just realize uh, you need like some kind of substance with your friends. You know, it has to be more than just like drinking beers and hanging out for a couple hours. And like, I don't know, I just need more out of it. So I definitely realized that, too. And. Also, people that bring like a certain type of mental stimula- like stimulation to me, you know, I always thought that was important. And if like I just don't feel that, and I don't feel like I get that out of that, why waste your time just because like you were in a situation with those people, you know? Yeah. And you feel guilt, but I don't know. I think maybe life's too short just to string stuff along, and because like they like they enjoy like your company and. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out, but mm. I just had to take a break from a lot of my groups of friends and just kind of focus on like the good part, the good parts of it, you know? Yeah. And we are referring to the good parts. Um, how, how much do you miss basketball, man? Yeah. Like that, like that stuff. Like I was, yeah, I had friends that were disrupting like just basketball. Like, why are you going to go play basketball? I'm like, dude, like, why are you like like who are you asking me? You, should, you know what I mean? Like basketball, let's go get some beer. Like no, it's like I like you should find a hobby too. Besides going mm-hmm. to drink, you know, like this is and I miss I miss the camaraderie there. I miss going out and like you know competing and talking and getting upset about because I miss yeah. myself and like that kind of like disappointment over like playing a sport that means nothing really. It's like something you just can't get naturally. Like just talking to people every day, you know, you need that kind of competitiveness to bring out like, you know, the extra in you. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I, I, I tell you, I, I'm kind of not quite dying cause I'm doing all, as many, you know, sort of physical activities as I, as I can, but they're all on my own. I'm not a, an individual sports person. I could never do running or swimming. Uh, no. I can't swim. And my ability to run is dominated by, you know, the pursuit of a spherical object. So right now going out to run is extremely difficult. So I completely agree. I need a team. I need people to push me, um, you know, playing basketball with you and the other guys, especially as all of you are better than me. It pushes me, you know, I need that. Yeah. Push me good. on. And it's, oh. and 
I think a lot of people don't have that in their life. Mm. You know, like they don't really, they, they never had it when they were kids, you know, and then they, and then, or they did, they enjoyed it. But then when they get to, like, especially in the U.S., like, wow, like hmm. once people hit a certain age, there's just not a lot of organized sports for people anymore. It's because you know, everybody's working so much. And if there are, they're very hard to get into, you know? Mm. And and then people, their work schedule and their, their life schedule just doesn't abide by it. And then, like, you know, we always played, like, pickup games, like, once a week. Everybody gets to the gym. But it's never, like, organized how we have it with this, you know, like, practice. Like, they take it serious. There's a group chat, like, about the games, like. When I played before, it was just like, all right, guys, show up. Hopefully, we get six. Hopefully, we get seven players. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, this is like, man, like, I hope I get to play today. Mm. 15 guys. That always frustrated me because it's like I'm there every day, and then some guy who hasn't been there in weeks comes and. <laughs> yeah, I know. Running around. I'm just like, come on. And, and like, the flow, like, it hurts the flow of the game. Mm. You think, like, when we. When you play with the same guys, like you know their movements, and then you like throw in Hans, who hasn't been there in six months, and he's shooting and he's acting like he's been playing every day. It's like no wonder we lost by forty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, luckily we don't have anyone called Hans on the team. So, um, but yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, Definitely looking forward to basketball coming back. That's for sure, um, and um, hopefully. Yeah, that will be quite quickly. I, I have my doubts, though. I, I think, uh, Chris, we're looking at uh, maybe April by the time or before we start playing basketball again. But that's just my view. But I don't know, man. It's, the virus is like the thing that I've I was uh, since I had this. I've been tested like maybe six times total. Okay. The thing that really got me is like I got tested four times in the last two weeks, and it was positive every time. And you think about the numbers. Of how many people like so people who've already been who already know they have it are all, probably getting tested all the time because they're trying to get negative so they can go do stuff, mm. you know. So if you think about how messed up the like the numbers are, that's that's you know, so I'm skeptical about a lot of stuff, you know. Like I, I understand there's a virus. I don't. I do believe in that. <laughs> I understand yeah. it's very dangerous, but. The system of monitoring it that the whole world has decided to go by, I just don't, I just don't understand. Because like, as soon as you get it, you should go right into a, da- a database. It should be like an app or something with your city or your 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 country, and then they monitor how many days are your symptoms, and then they should monitor the the amount in, in your in your bloodstream and and have to know like, okay, this person is no longer contagious. Because like, I keep getting tested. They say now you can go out after ten days. I got tested after 13 days, and I was still positive. So, am I still contagious or what? So, like, no one. And then I'm supposed to get a phone call by the health department. No one mm-hmm. called. You know, it's. So your last test was positive, was it? You haven't yet had a negative. I got a positive test. Yesterday. Yesterday. Shit. So okay. So what's what's the drill then? You're gonna wait another few days and take another test. But then they say that you could be positive for three months. What? Yeah. They said, I mean, they said 30 to 40% of people are, can be positive for three weeks after uh, a positive test or 
three weeks after they quarantine, they can still they've had people who there was a there was a family I want to say in the US or Germany, I don't know, but maybe UK, I think. It was when it first happened and she just had a baby. She tested positive. Baby was like a couple weeks old, I don't know. And she didn't see her child for 55 days because she kept testing positive for 55 days. Oh. That's a month and a half she was testing positive and that she couldn't see her newborn. Mm. And so that's like, how do you know? Like, how, can, how can you go back about with your life? They're just, they're just like, it's like you get sick, you have it, you do everything they tell you, you know, because they shut everything down. You wear your mask. You know, you you try to social distance and then you get it and then you, you're sick. And then after you did your 14 days, you're still coming up positive. Can you go to work? Can you not go to work? Is it dangerous if you go to work? Like, is it can you be around people? Like, there's no way to tell. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the rule of thumb is if you're still testing positive, then I guess you, you got to maintain the isolation. But, I, you know. Um, <laughs> some information would be nice, wouldn't it? But also, like, so they have the PCR test and they have this other antigen test, and like the PCR, they both like do the swab. Have you had one yet? No, I haven't had any. No, because I've not had symptoms really this year. So yeah, and most people that asymptomatic who don't have symptoms, they pass it on, and I think they they get rid of it faster because it's not as much in the bloodstream. So like when mm. they DNA for it. They can see how many like protein particles are in there, and so the PCR test for around like thirty particles or more or something before it comes up. So if you have under thirty particles in that DNA sample, you have the virus, but it didn't. They, they don't register it as enough, and then but you can go out and still spread it. But they don't. They they say you're negative. Okay, so. Yeah, I, I'm. I, for, for these reasons, I'm happy not to be a, a doctor or a scientist because I, I can't understand that. And I mean, I couldn't. I, I would not imagine being able to take responsibility for saying to somebody, "You're okay, go out," and and that person then goes and spreads it and says, "But my doctor said it was all right." Um, I, I'm happy I don't have that responsibility. Um, but I, 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 I will repeat the one thing that, you know, this virus is still relatively new for humanity uh, and it's going to take a long time until we completely understand um, you know the different factors involved within it plus it's going to change a lot isn't it over the next uh, you know few years so you know th this is like um, a constant challenge to be able to stay one foot ahead um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people keep saying like oh you know next June everything will be back to normal like there's no way <laughs> no no, I can't see like that happening. Billion, six billion people on the planet, or, or more, I don't know, seven billion? Yeah, seven, I think seven billion, but yeah. And 18 million have been infected. That's no, a long way to go, isn't it? No, 18 million Americans have been affected. Oh, okay. 300,000 dead. 330,000, I think, more or less. It's crazy, crazy figures, man crazy figures i want to know how many people like how many people died of heart attacks this year in the u.s um do, do you mean related to covid or just normally no, it, uh, okay. heart disease from being obese hmm. that's the number one like killer in the united states obesity that affects people from obesity hmm. because because they because diabetes um 
cardiovascular disease, like heart attacks. Yeah. One of these killers. Yeah, I mean, the I, I, I've been to the States a few times, and, you know, one of the things that always remains impressed with in my mind is the quantity of food you get when you make an order. Uh, Uh, It's crazy, man. It's such a great thing to get those plates, but then you see what's doing to people, and it's like, man. I mean, for me, like, I I love food, and when I'm here in Berlin, and when I go there, the, 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 the amount that I consume... And the way that it affects my body is crazy because mm. it, it's like you just so it it just triggers these things in your brain like whoa like oh my god like <laughs> you know like I haven't seen this yeah. place in so long and like and you just and you're like I need to get everything you know because like I don't know where I'm gonna get it again and you're like oh and then you just start checking off I mean I was going out at six a.m. to the Waffle House to make to get like to get Waffle House because I wanted the like the the, the potatoes you know, covered smothered diced pepped. And I was, it was oh. just amazing. It's like six bucks for this plate of just cheese and potatoes and ham and bacon. And, uh, uh, mate, you got to be careful, man. Otherwise, you're going to turn into Uncle Phil. I mean, I don't know. Was, it, was, that, his, was that his name? Uncle Phil from um, <laughs> Fresh Prince? Uh, <laughs> Rest in peace. He died a couple of years ago. Yeah? Shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't keep up with all of these people that, you know, I, I shared a life with uh, on the silver screen and then they, they passed away. Oh, yeah. God, there's like light going on tonight. No. Um, yeah, but I, I just, the way that they food advertise and the size of stuff is crazy. Man. Yeah. No, it's it's way too much, and, and then I, I I remember I've got a few experiences, uh, you know, silly little stories about um, you know eating in in the US, um, but yeah, okay, this is something we, I think we've got so many of these topics that we have to talk about and you know sort of dedicate shows to. Um, maybe we can pick this as uh, one of the options for our upcoming uh, series. All right then, um, Chris, thank you uh, for your time again i know it's been difficult for you recently yeah man, you get me um, roll now i just i can talk all night yeah well i have to find um i have to find an opportunity so that i can talk for, with you for hours and hours as well mate because i mean for, for me it's essentially it's it's catching up with a friend i haven't seen anywhere near enough this year so no, um yeah all right we'll we'll, we'll um I'll i think we need to, stick to uh Maybe just one or two solid topics. I can, I get too distracted. I get, I just get going and I roll off subject too fast. So maybe the next show we'll be, we'll just do like one topic. Yeah, but also it's, it's. I mean, you know, I, 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 but I just want to keep the theme like similar. Okay. Well, we I, I, to COVID, mm. to uh, race, class, back to COVID. Yeah, I mean, but we will. I, I'm comfortable in that because I'm sure we will revisit race, we will revisit class because I think these are these are topics of our era. You know, the, Black Lives Matter is. I think it's huge. Um, uh, I think equality for you know, um, you know racial equality, gender equality. You know, these are huge issues, and I think we have to dedicate shows and shows and shows to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so uh, will be something I'm going to talk about, but. I just want to. I mean, it's easier for me, to, especially if you maybe ahead of time, you're like, okay, the main subject will be this, and then I can have maybe my thoughts a little more prepared. Because okay. 
so then I I can uh, answer you more correctly. No problem at all. Cool. Yeah, we'll do it that way, definitely. Um, but I do like your 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 natural ability to meander through various topics. So you know that's always much appreciated too. Um, the corona being at home and how I wanted to be more creative, how that brought out some stuff in me. Um, so I had this idea to do like yearbooks, but like of pop culture, sports, race, like for every year. So you would have like, for example, like 1990 and you would just have like kind of like a multimedia yearbook that you could okay. like leather bound book, but you would just have like photos and different topics. So like, I was looking at like 88, 89, like it said like the top things that happened in that that year. Um, and it was like the Soviets left uh, Afghanistan. And I remember like in the 90s or early 90s, like the, the Afghan freedom fighter hats were like really big in DC. Okay. All right. In these hats, right. wool hats. Because like, you know, the US kind of like supported bin Laden and you know, in the Taliban, like to get out the Soviets. So mm. what happened, you know, there's like a huge Afghan movement, you know, pro-Afghan movement in the U.S., you know. But that's when they were training, like, the future terrorists and giving them guns and all this. Mm. So I would just, like, there'd be, like, a little section on that and just kind of, like, maybe describing, like, you know, different parts of the that year and kind of, like, relating it to, like, now and some not always relating it but like also talk about like you know like the, the biggest song that year was like michael jackson blah blah blah, and then you were kind of related to how that really affected pop culture and kind of have like maybe two pages of just like pictures short snippets of like interesting facts about this certain time period of that year and then you mm -hmm. would just so you have like 1990 like 91 92 and you have like this is the year like michael jordan you know, won his first ring, blah, blah, blah. And they also won in Barcelona. And then you can tell a story that there's something that happened in Barcelona. Like, actually, like this, the Lithuanian basketball team didn't have enough money, but they had two of the best centers in the world. Arvidas Sabonis, who played mm -hmm. like 14 years. His son plays for the Bulls now. Okay. And oh, this other guy that played for like New Jersey, I forget his name. So they, so the country like didn't, like, I guess the Soviets had just left and they were really struggling on money to go to the Olympics. So one of the guys was playing in Golden State in San Francisco, uh, talked to Bob Weir, who's like a guitarist for the Grateful Dead. You know the Grateful Dead is? No. <laughs> the Grateful Dead is like a band that played from the 60s until the 90s, and they still have certain guys who are still playing today. And they're a huge impact on like the hippie movement, San Francisco and across the, the United States, and even across the world. Now it's like a huge deadhead subculture that kids, you know, even kids are 18, they're getting into now. And it's kind of like peace, you know, smoking weed, um, you know, this type of a lifestyle. Okay. And I have to point out, I have a very 
I'm very ignorant on things such as you know the, the sort of you know movement related music um, and different musical forms and okay. uh, and genres. So you know you're going to have to educate me on that as well. Yeah. So, so the Grateful, yeah. You know, so they started in like San Francisco, and they're really um, they were kind of a little bit different, more like blues grass. Than like the the Beatles or like Jimi Hendrix, the same time period, um, okay. they were known for playing touring. So they were a huge touring band. They would play like thirty six shows a year, and they play for four hours. They play two sets, and they play the same songs, but the songs are never in the same order. Or sometimes they would play certain songs back to back, and they would improvise with jazz, funk, bluegrass. Um, and the guitarist would just kind of improvise and just play for like, you know, one song could be 20 minutes, 25 minutes. The song could be eight minutes. You know, it all depends. And so they have these culture people that would follow them around and they all they ended up building their own society um, around the shows because people would go to the shows and they would set up vendors and sell food, sell beer, sell drugs, sell clothes. Um and then you would just go to each show to each major city in the U.S. and you would see the same people at these shows and you would know like, oh, that's where I need to go buy beer from this guy. He always has like cheap beer in his truck or this lady makes empanadas. Um, and I actually got into the, the when Jerry Garcia, who was the head guitarist, lead guitarist for Grateful Dead, he died in 96. And uh, this band Fish from Vermont was kind of coming up in the eighties and they were like huge Grateful Dead fans. And so Vermont's a very liberal hippie state and they're at the university of Vermont and they started playing at local bar and uh, it's called Nectars. And then they ended up kind of taking the torch in 96 and kind of doing the same thing and they have their own culture, but they were able to, I mean, the Grateful Dead's still worth a lot of money um, because they playing, they're still playing. Some of the guys are still playing. But I mean, fish. These these guys went from college students to millionaires, you know, and and all doing it, but not being mainstream, which is the coolest part. You know, they're not. It's not mainstream, hmm. but they do sell out Madison Square Garden every New Year's for four okay. nights. <laughs> okay, you uh, know. Well, yeah. So like, so this is this whole subculture, and I'm, I'm lost. Where we? I was telling you about the Grateful Dead. The yeah, the yearbook. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that they they you you said that the, uh, somebody approached the Grateful Dead because of oh, the, yeah. so the, the basketball team. Okay, yeah. so All right, so one of the players was playing in San Francisco, and he approached Don Nelson, who used to coach uh, the, the Mavericks. He's a he yeah. coach Whiskey when they won the championship. I think okay. he did, uh, but he was he coached Dirk. He was like one of the Dirk's first coaches, and Steve Nash was playing there. Anyway, so. He Don Nelson was a coach, and he one of the players was like, "Yeah, like we want to go to the Olympics, but we don't have any money." And he calls. He's like, "Hey, well, let's." Uh, he somehow he got it. He's looking for people. He asked Bob Weir. I don't know how because I guess he just I don't know why. But also, I, anyways, so he asked him, and Bob was like, "Yeah, we'll write him a check." So they went to the Olympics, and they ended up beating the Soviet Union for second or third place um which is like a huge like a huge deal and that's the year like 
in 89, uh, the Olympics, the U.S. wouldn't allow professional players. So they lost to like Russia or the Soviet Union or some, I think. In 88, 88. 88, they lost. Yeah. yeah. And so then they changed the rules. And then the 92 in Barcelona, all the you know, Jordan, Magic, the dream team. Yeah. And, uh, and they won. It was like huge for pop culture and Michael Jordan in, in Europe. And it was like spreading basketball over Europe. You know, it was like big, you know. And uh, so the Lithuanian team didn't have any money. So they so we approached Bob Weir. They, the Grateful Dead wrote them a check and they were wearing tie dye like Grateful Dead. Like the, the Deadheads would always wear tie dye shirts to the concert. And like they, you know, it was like part of their wardrobe, you know, like. This hippie, you know, like hippie stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like if you look at, if you Google like hippie, the probably wearing a tie dye shirt. So they made their warm ups, uh, like Grateful Dead concert shirts, tie dye, but it has like a Lithuanian. It says Lithuania basketball uh-huh. team, and it has like a skeleton. Uh, like it's like one of the, you know, logos for the Grateful Dead, like dunking a basketball. Okay, and. Uh-huh. So when they got that. when they when they got the third place, they're like, "Hey, like, uh, come up to the stands." They put the the Grateful Dead shirts that the Grateful Dead g- gave to them on when they went to the podium, and you can see a picture of all of them wearing these shirts. And it was like no one understood the story behind it. And I read it like on like Bleacher Report a couple of weeks ago. Okay, of my buddies who are fans, they're like, "Oh man, that's like the coolest story." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool how like this little thing happened and. They won the bronze medal, and they didn't have them, and like this band paid for them to play in the Olympics. Yeah, that's a brilliant story. I mean, 92, 92 Olympics. I, I was in uh, Spain at the time, not not in Barcelona. I was on on a family holiday um, in the south of Spain, um, but I, I I was already playing basketball at the time, so it was uh, you know really interesting to to watch the dream team. Uh, so I had to stay up until about three or four in the morning because yeah, it was set for you know the American market, obviously, um, and it was yeah, it was brilliant. So yeah, okay. So obviously in '92, the Dream Team was not the only big story behind the Olympics. So you know maybe with your uh, sort of yearbook um, idea, you can introduce some of these uh, the random stories that people don't really know about. That's what I'm, exactly. That's what I'm. Exactly what I would do, like these, like how like the Grateful Dead is connected to the '92 Olympics, and like stuff like that. You know, just trying to find these weird facts, and it would, it would kind of be like a coffee table book, okay. easy to read but cool pictures, random facts of those years, and trying to connecting stuff. You know, a lot of research, a lot of research. But I guess, I guess if you open it up as as like a you know where where sort of people you know public members can also add their stories and so on, then you know you have other people do the research for you and you just pick, uh, you know, pick the ones that you think are most suitable. Oh uh, yeah. Or, or do you mean like send out like a people like, Hey, like send me something that happened in like 92 or like surveys or something, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it could be like, uh, you could start it as a, as a blog basically and, uh, set up, I don't know, each year from night, as you say, 1980 or whatever down to, to up to today. Um, and then each individual can add from whatever part of the world they're in, whichever language they'd like to speak in um, or communicate in. Um, and then 
you know, you, you can, I'm sure you, there'll be people who have lots and lots of, you know, very interesting stories that nobody's heard of. So, I mean, what you just said there, um, yeah, I well, love basketball, like, I had no idea. Like, even, say, like, they were, like, you could have a story, someone said, like, like they, they partied with, like, the dream team, and then they could, like, give in-depth, like, info about what they were doing, like, in the, during the party, you know, like, well, that guy, like, yeah, he, he's a woman, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he loves women or whatever, you know. He's a big drinker. He was drinking before the games, you know. Okay, like a, a, a historical gossip. Uh... Exactly. Like it would always have to like kind of like add, you know, or like, or you can like talk about Wayne Rooney. Be like, I remember that time Wayne got caught with the the grandmother or whatever. Remember that story? No, I never heard of that. Yeah, he got caught with like at like a. <laughs> I'm a United fan, of course I heard. No. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was saying like so you put like you would put stuff like that in there, you know, and like have the picture and just have like funny picture of Wayne Rooney like. No, <laughs> we can't, man. Wayne Rooney is uh, he, he's a responsible dad now, man. We can't have that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, he got arrested at the airport in DC for being too drunk. <laughs> now that you could put in because uh, yeah, that's quite entertaining. Um, I, I I don't think if he was even aware that you're not allowed to be publicly drunk uh, in in some parts of the US. I guess. Yeah, he just they're like going to a game or something like DC United. He just like came met them at the airport, and he was just wasted. And they're like, sorry, so you can't get on the plane like that. <laughs> oh man, I mean that's just like uh, the the 80s football culture in in, in England. Um, but yeah, okay. All of these things are, you know, these are very, very good uh, topics that we're going to have to uh, indulge in uh, in future in, in future episodes. But yeah, this this yearbook thingy definitely, um, you know, I want to do like videos like a video blog, but I think it's just it makes it more difficult, like getting the video. But I think if you just make like a book, and then you could like have each year, and then I really want to sell it. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you could also just have a QR code in a book and people can go with it on their phones and then you can link to a video. Uh, you don't have to have every story that has a video, but just, uh, you know, a few videos that they can, you know, they can go to. That goes with it. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? And you can, you can just connect the YouTube channel to it. You don't have to do anything. No. No, absolutely not. I mean, the technology is there. They just use their mobiles and uh, you, you have your YouTube channel. End of story. Oh, Wow. Yeah, this is how I'm gonna get. This is my new thing. I'm just gonna get a loan from the German government that says I'm working on a project. And <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Yeah, uh, yeah. If if you if you can do it, then good luck to you. You know, and um, you can always you know tell to tell me and to whoever whoever listens to this damn thing, and you can tell them about it too. Yeah, I just wanna. Yeah, I just wanted to bounce that idea off. Think like get your. Uh... Feedback, definitely. Yeah, especially you know, I'm really, really into these. Um, you know, sort of uh, not necessarily the only the charitable angle, but you know, just doing a nice thing. And there's no connection whatsoever between this American band and the Lithuanian basketball team. But you know, at some point, somebody says, you know, you know, damn, you, we need to get these guys over there. And uh, you know, it's it's. Yeah. A, it's a random event, and uh, and that's just cool, and that's entertaining, and and I think there's the, yeah there's a need for that. There's a need for the positive stories at the moment. I think so. You're definitely onto something there. Yeah, and it's just like and like that's just a cool story, and it, it relates to history, sports, and music. Definitely, uh, and, and uh, if you can't unite people behind those you know elements, then 
okay, we're going to have problems as a, as a society. So, cool. All right, good. But, but you see where I went from, like, the, from the, the whole Afghan, like, the Soviet Union thing, how it, that affected that as well, like, into the basketball and then music, like, it's all connected. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, way, they couldn't get to there because of, you know, they were, like, because the Soviet Union left, they, they, were, they finally were, like, separated. Mm. That was the first time they had their own team because most of those guys played for the Soviet Union in the last Olympics. Yeah, it was the first time with their, their own team. So like this whole thing was affecting like it, it went all got all the way to some hippie band in in San Francisco. <laughs> well, which is which is you know which is brilliant, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I mean that's I just like a thousand of those stories. That's why I thought doing it by like a year would make it easier than you, know, you just focus on one year, you know, and then it's a lot easier to like do the balance instead of doing like five years or one topic. No, of course. I mean, why would you limit it to a certain topic? Um, you know, if if you can, I mean, there are millions of stories that never get told. You know, yeah. so if you have if you have an open element where you know, obviously you'll do your own stories and research, but if you have an open element where other people can come in and tell their stories and have they have that opportunity, um, then you know, people will learn about these other events. Um, I call it a cultural yearbook. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And even like when, like when I was in Kenya, like visiting my brother, there was a group of guys, like all in the same age. A lot of them who were born in the mid '80s to ni- early '90s. All their names were Michael because Michael <laughs> Jordan and Michael Jackson were huge. So like all these guys all over Africa, like named Michael, and some of them were named Michael Jordan. Or just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's talk about that, and you you can just. You know, have like a little spot. I don't want to do too much writing, more visuals because I don't like reading a lot. But I think if you have nice paragraph, little serpents on stuff on each page, like in between the pictures, it would look nice like that, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, it's funny that, you know, human nature is the way that it is because um, they historians have discovered that at some point in the other, if it's the sixth or seventh century, but in, in, in certain parts of England, um, it was a very popular to call uh, their boys Arthur. Um, and it, this is one of the, the main indicators that somebody who was very, very important um, was called Arthur. So, uh, you know, maybe this is what derived the legend of King Arthur. Um, so, you know, human nature repeats itself, you know, in this case as well. King Arthur? Sorry? There is no, there's no such thing as King Arthur? No, um, but there was somebody who was quite prominent in certain parts of England called Arthur, but uh, not, not the legendary King Arthur that was created um, by some French author uh, a couple of hundred years later. <laughs> I had no idea. All right. Well, Bud, look, happy new year for tomorrow. Um, have fun um, at home on your own, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be in touch. Don't worry. Um, and I'll send you a link to this. All right, man. Happy new All year. Right. Happy Cheers. new year. Stay safe. Take care. Ciao.